you're listening to a message from Kaleo Phoenix, a church plant in downtown Phoenix that creates space for people to practice the ways of Jesus together. Ooh, Kaleo family, we made it. Resurrection Sunday. Resurrection Sunday. I don't know about you, but I feel like this is gifted to us at what has been the, the longest of Lent with Jesus in the wilderness. Uh, fittingly, we're gathered here, masked up, distanced out for our first ever in-person Easter gathering together. Uh, last year, our first Easter fell via Zoom. And I'll just tell you this, it was not the same. It was not the same. To be able to see half your faces uh, is much better than seeing your Zoom faces. So thanks for sharing this space with us. What we'll, we'll find today as we move through the resurrection is that we're still, still in the tension of the in-between of what God has come to do and what God will do. We'll celebrate afresh, even in the midst of the death that surrounds us, that death has lost its victory. We get to tune our minds to that reality while standing here two feet in a world where we know that's not always the case. As the story of Jesus unfolds, what we're going to do is we're going to live into it again afresh. We're going to try to experience it, if you will. And in real time, what's happening is all of this is unfolding on the, the heels of Jesus dying on a cross. And that meant that the collective of followers who'd been following Jesus up to this point were like, man, okay, that kingdom has not come. Jesus' death on the cross did not signify for them that his kingdom had come, but that in fact it had fallen short. It was a failure. And T. Wright says it like this. He says, crucifixion of a would-be Messiah meant that he wasn't the Messiah, not that he was. When Jesus was crucified, every single disciple knew what it meant. We backed the wrong horse. The game is over. Whatever their expectations and however Jesus was trying to redefine those expectations, as far as they were concerned, hope had crumbled into ashes. They knew they were lucky to escape with their own lives. And is that just not the sentiment that defines the last year that we've all spent together? Our hope crumbling into ashes. Many of our experiences align us in solidarity with the cry of Christ where we were saying, why, God, have you abandoned us? And certainly we continue to experience glimpses of hope among the ashes. But Easter is when hope is a person. On Easter, hope as a person surprises the world by coming forward from the future into the present moment. And as we hold the tension of hope crumbling into ashes all around us and hope simultaneously bursting forth, I'm going to read a passage that won't be as clear as we think it should be. And I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to dive deep into the resurrection of Jesus. So here it is, our passage for Easter Sunday from Mark 16, verses 1 through 8. Saturday evening, when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, and Salome went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way there, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? But as they arrived, they look up and saw that stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. 
When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. The women were shocked, but the angel said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. The women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered. And they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we again just acknowledge that you are already with us and among us. And so we welcome you. And we invite you to teach us today. Meet us in this moment as you already have, as we've prayed and sung and waved at one another. Would you illuminate our eyes to see you? Would you perk up our ears to hear what it is you have to say? And would you swing wide the gates of our hearts to receive what it is you have to give to us, not only as individuals, but as a Kaleo community? And God, would you give me your words to speak as well? I don't want to say anything that's not for you or from you. And so would we make much of you here on this Easter Sunday? We love you. We thank you for the gift of gathering together in your presence. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So to behold the resurrection, the stone must be rolled away from our own hearts as well. The women at the tomb, they were the first to honor the risen Christ. The apostles were the first to suffer for the risen Christ. And so today our hearts get to open up to Jesus as we begin to process what we do with the risen Christ. Again, we begin on Saturday evening before Resurrection Sunday in this passage. And the passage again reads like this. Saturday evening, when the Sabbath had ended, the Sabbath would begin on Friday at sundown and move to Saturday at sundown. So the moment that that Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb on the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? So first, as we get to this point of the story, it's striking, right, that Mark chooses to emphasize the, the presence of women followers and the absence of male disciples at this crucial point around Jesus' death. From the outset of this passage, it certainly seems that there's some kind of power shift that's happening. Those that have power should pay attention to those who have less power because the witness of these women is actually quite subversive. Mark, in fact, names the women, not only these women that we just encountered in this passage, but right before this, he names the women who were present at the crucifixion. He names the two women who noted where the body had been laid, and now he names the three women who are there to make their way to the tomb. As observant Jews, they wait until the Sabbath has concluded, and that's when they buy burial spices. As the Sabbath ends and they make their way to the tomb, there's something that had been going on in that awkward in-between silent Saturday, right? This painful preparation for them. Something's stirring, and they don't quite know what it is, and so they head to the tomb at first light Sunday morning. They expect 
to have difficulty with the stone, but no doubt they anticipate that somehow a stranger stronger than themselves will arrive on the scene and move the stone aside. Now, it's important as we unpack this resurrection story to know this. They're not heading to the tomb to witness the resurrection of Jesus. That's not why they're going. They are about to be just as surprised as we are. Their goals were really specific. To complete the necessary but sad task of anointing the body with burial spices. This was what was known as the first part of the burial process. So Jesus is in the tomb. They need to get the stone rolled away. And then they're going to anoint his body with these spices. One, out of reverence, but two, also out of practicality to lessen the smell of his body decomposing. Because what would happen in that tomb is over the year, other bodies would end up in that tomb. And then eventually, they would come back to that tomb to finish the burial process because there would only be Jesus' bones, and they would put those in an ossuary, which is essentially a fancy bone box, and the burial process would be concluded. This is why the women came to the tomb on this Sunday morning. And also to continue grieving. That was a part of the process. However, I think it is fitting that the women embody the gospel of Jesus in action. Because here they arrive, the women arrive, none of the other disciples do. To do what? To minister to the body of Jesus. Jesus, who was killed alongside criminals at the hands of the powers that be, and these women, members of the marginalized community, risked their well-being to attend to him, just as Jesus taught them to do. Their obedience isn't solely that they show up as grieving followers to anoint his body with burial spices. It's that they go on the ministry journey that Jesus had invited his disciples to go on from the very beginning. And they show us the way. And so at the beginning of this narrative, we don't want it to be lost on us that people are still dying at the hands of the powers and principalities today. Will we follow the lead of these women and attend to those who are marginalized by the systems of power? For there too, we will find Jesus when we do that. That's what they're already showing us. So the passage continues, Mark 16, 4. It says, but they arrived, as they arrived, they looked up, and saw the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. Now, seemingly, the angel that we encounter here in a moment would have been the one to have rolled the stone away from the tomb. And it's important to note that the, the stone here, it wasn't rolled away so Jesus could do some grand escape. That's, he didn't need that. He'd already pieced out. The stone was rolled away to provide evidence that he had, in fact, already come forth. And yet, the prospect of resurrection that that might be stirring in their minds now has so many implications, and we have so many ideas about what that might mean. So to clarify what is unfolding in the Gospels, N.T. Wright says this. He says, insofar as the event is interpreted, Easter has a very this-worldly, present-age meaning. Jesus is raised, so he is the Messiah, and therefore he is the world's true Lord. Jesus is raised, so now God's new creation has begun, 
And we as followers have a job to do. Jesus is raised, so we must now act as heralds announcing the lordship of the entire world, making his kingdom come on earth as in heaven. That's what this resurrection is about. Tangibly speaking, resurrection in the first century meant that someone physically thoroughly dead became physically thoroughly alive again. It wasn't like this some simply surviving the crucifixion and he wasn't quite dead. It's not that he went to some like other purely spiritual world. They would not have understood it that way. They would have understood that somebody was completely and thoroughly dead and now they were completely and thoroughly alive. Which I know is nuts, by the way. And all of this is on the cusp of being revealed to them as the stone has been rolled aside. Here's how the story continues. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. The women were shocked, but the angel said, don't be alarmed. You were looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. For centuries and centuries, this experience has been recapped and retold, but for a moment, because I think you're probably already somewhat familiar with it because you rolled up here on Easter Sunday. So I want you to try to grasp the sensation of arriving at the tomb of Jesus and meeting a young man clothed in a white robe telling you not to be afraid. He tells you Jesus isn't here. He has risen from the dead. Just look around inside the tomb for a minute. Let your eyes grow big, right? Like let your, let your mind expand. Let your heart begin to race. Where is Jesus? Where is Jesus, they're asking. Where is Jesus? Even though he told them where Jesus was, where is he? So let's also note this as we ask that question. These women, they're not told to tell the disciples to go to Galilee. Apparently, the male disciples are already running for their lives back home to Galilee. The women now are instead tasked to bear the entire message of the risen Jesus who has done what he already said he was going to do. All Jesus says throughout Mark is, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me, and there's a select few who listened to him. Without these women who had shown up at that tomb to minister to the body of Jesus, who are now proclaiming the message of Jesus' resurrection, we would not have known of this ultimate good news. They were entrusted fully and completely as the messengers. This is the theme present in all the gospel accounts. Listen to the preaching women. And what about the mention of Peter? He gets a specific shout out from the angel young man person being. Interestingly, I think at first we're like, man, Peter's always getting a shout out. But I think it's a little bit more meaningful than that. It's not likely that he's being given this special place of importance, but it's to ensure that following Peter's catastrophic denial, remember that 
Three times he denied Jesus and he broke down and wept and he was nowhere to be found. And now he's being named by the angel in the empty tomb. I think it's to ensure that following this catastrophic denial that he is not regarded as beyond redemption. He still has a place and a family of Jesus. The same hope that's extended to Peter is then certainly extended to us. So it is that God's kingdom in the preaching of Jesus refers not to some like post-death destiny. That's not what's happening here. It's not about our escape from this world to another one but to God's sovereign rule coming on earth as it is in heaven. That's what Jesus has been saying all along. This world, the world of Peter and the women and all the disciples and even all of us today, that's why Jesus shows up. What God did for Jesus on the first Easter day, he has promised to do each for who is in Christ, each one indwelt by the spirit of Christ, will all rise again to be the family of God. But the surprise in all of this, because the resurrection story is surprising, if nothing else, right, is that Jesus will greet the disciples, even Peter who denied them, ready to forgive them and renew the proclamation of God's inbreaking realm with them. He'll do it all again, the thing he'd been saying all along. He's like, I'll show up and tell you again. He's a patient Jesus. But the story in our passage ends with the implicit before it becomes explicit. We don't have that answer. The women are told to go and tell what Jesus has already told them. Jesus is continually faithful. This is what he was going to do. So what do these women do now that they've seen the empty tomb and they've been told to go and tell? Mark 16, verse 8, the women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered, and they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. I was getting all hyped. And that's how this passage in the movement of the lectionary in the church calendar concludes. The women flee from the tomb, terrified, trembling, amazed, and they say nothing to anyone because they're too frightened. And for just a moment, we pause and we go, look, okay, the women, like the men, are fallible followers. Humans struggling to think of the surprising things of God. And at this moment in time, we go, yeah, okay, we can relate. Do we not too struggle to think of the surprising things of God? But as everyone in the audience reading Mark's gospel and everybody here today knows, the story gets out. The story gets told. Jesus' execution at the hands of Rome's imperial power is not the end of the subversively powerful good news for all people. The good news is resurrected so that the whole of Mark's story comes to this conclusion because what he said in Mark 1.1, the first chapter of his gospel, is that the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's always going to be that way. N.T. Wright reminds us again, hope in this case then for the Christian is not wishful thinking or mere blind optimism. It is a mode of knowing, a mode within which new things are possible, options are not shut down, and new creation can happen. And yet, these women are full of fear and trembling. And to live with fear and trembling is to reckon with our own and unsteady soul. 
before we speak. Something stirs in us that we should pay attention to before we open our mouths. The women at the tomb do this, and I don't believe it's too out of line to notice that these women reckon with their fear before they speak because we know the facts, that the story is known to all, makes it clear that Mark believes that the women eventually told Jesus' disciples what they had seen. But what do we make of the fact that Mark ends his gospel with the women's fear and silence taking center stage? Here's what I think we know all too well. That hope is hard to find. It's hard to muster. How do we receive the hope of Jesus in light of all that we encounter in our daily lives, especially in light of our heightened experiences of the hopelessness over the last year? Hope seems to be much harder to come by. The women didn't go to the tomb looking for hope. They were in search of a place to grieve, and they were surprised. The bewildering prospect of Easter is that God called these women to return to the same world that crucified Jesus, but this time with a very dangerous gift, the hope in the power of God. The unending reservoir of forgiveness and abundance of love. And to return to this world with such a gift as that would make them seem to be fools. You're going back into the world that crucified the man you followed? Something deeper had to propel them. Who could believe such a thing, they probably thought. And Easter's a frightening prospect in that sense. Issa Macaulay writes it like this in his New York Times op-ed from this very weekend, actually. He said, we know what to do with grief and despair. We have a place for it. We have rituals that surround it. We know how to look around at the anti-black racism, the anti-Asian racism, the struggles of families at the border and feel despair. We know what it's like to watch the body count rise after a mass shooting only to have the country collectively shrug because we are too addicted to our guns and violence. We put it all in the tomb that contains our dead hopes and dreams for what the church and country could be. And we are left with only tears. Trembling. Bewildered. Silent. What do we do? But Mark's gospel itself ends with an opening. An opening for the women, an opening for the male disciples, even Peter, and an opening for the women and men of the audience. What will all these characters, inside and outside of the narrative, do now? Because clearly some have taken up the work of going and telling. Will we? Will we? Let's break this down with just a little bit of Resurrection 101 with our guide, N.T. Wright. He says this, Who, after all, was it who didn't want the dead to be raised? Not simply the intellectually timid or the rationalists. It was and is those in power, the social and intellectual tyrants and bullies. 
The Caesars who would be threatened by a lord of the world who had defeated the tyrant's last weapon, death itself. The Herods who would be horrified at the post-mortem validation of the true king of the Jews. And this is the point where believing in the resurrection of Jesus suddenly ceases to be a matter of inquiring about an odd event in the first century and becomes a matter of rediscovering hope in the 21st century. Hope is what you get when you suddenly realize that a different worldview is possible. A worldview in which the rich, the powerful, and the unscrupulous do not, after all, have the last word. The same worldview shift that is demanded by the resurrection of Jesus is the same shift that will enable us to transform the world on the work he's already invited us to. And yet, like this moment in Mark 16, Jesus can be hard for us to find. Do you feel that? Take this tantalizing scene from Oscar Wilde's 1891 play, Salome. King Herod hears reports that Jesus of Nazareth has been raising the dead. In response, King Herod says this. He says, I do not wish him to do that. I forbid him to do that. I allow no man to raise the dead. This man must be found and told that I forbid him to raise the dead. And using this as an illustration, N.T. Wright says, this is the bluster of the tyrant who knows his power is threatened. And I hear the same tone of voice, not just in the politicians who want to carve up the world to their advantage, but also in the intellectual traditions that have gone along for the ride. But the next haunting line is the real crunch for us as for Herod. Where is this man, demands Herod. The royal advisor replies, he is in every place, my Lord, but he is hard to find. And so our task in the present to live as resurrection people who do in fact believe that Jesus is everywhere, albeit sometimes hard to find, is to live between this Easter and the final day with our Christian life, corporate and individual, worship and mission as a sign of the first Easter and a foretaste of the second. We join many who for generations have gone before us. And we believe that the early Christians believed that the resurrection had begun with Jesus and would be completed in the great final resurrection on the last day. They believed that God had called them to work with him in the power of the Spirit to implement the achievement of Jesus and thereby to anticipate the final resurrection in personal and political life and mission and holiness. And all of this is held in tension in the year of our Lord 2021 when it seems Jesus is everywhere but hard to find. For as Isa Macaulay reminds us, as we leave the tombs of quarantine, a return to normal would be a disaster unless we recognize that we are going back to a world desperately in need of healing. For me, he says, the source of that healing is an empty tomb in Jerusalem. The work that Jesus left his followers to do includes showing compassion and forgiveness and contending for a just society. It involves the ever-present offer for all to begin again. 
He says, the weight of this work fills me with terrifying fear, especially in light of all those who have done great evil in the name of Jesus. Who is worthy of such a task? Like the women, the scope of it leaves me too often with a stunned silence. As the disciples of Jesus, the men and women soon find out to go and tell, to go and do likewise, is to go and die. Jesus has gone first and he's shown us the way and he's defeated the lasting victory of death and its sting. But will we listen to this Jesus, the one who has done this for us and who has said he would do what he was going to do? And does it? And in the meantime, as we decide if we too will listen to this Jesus and go and do and go and tell, we navigate the injustice of this world on this precipice between the kingdom that has come and the kingdom that is still to come. It's a wobbly place to live sometimes. But the resurrection completes the inauguration of God's kingdom. It's what he was always intending to do and be. It's the decisive event demonstrating that God's kingdom has already been launched on earth as it is in heaven. And the message of Easter is that God's new world has been unveiled in Jesus Christ and that you're now invited to belong to it. Will you join him? As the band comes up, I just want to give us some space really to give God the last word. Let that question rattle around in your head and your heart. Will you join him in this kingdom work? Will you go and tell? Will you go and do likewise? Let's sit for a moment. Jesus, we are here on this Resurrection Sunday. Believing in the hope that this resurrection offers us. Receiving the reminder that you are a Jesus who is everywhere, that you are a Jesus who is with us. But sometimes you're hard to find. In our collective prayer, Lord, is to be people who receive the gift of your death-defeating death and your life-giving resurrection and join you in the work 
of bringing your kingdom to bear on earth as it is in heaven? Would we not forget that we are resurrected people, spirit-filled people, followers of the one true king, the only one who has defeated death and sin in the grave. And your resurrection proves it. The final encore. Stir our hearts, Jesus, to join you as individuals, as a community of people. Give us eyes to see where your kingdom is breaking in and may we join you. May we follow the lead of the women who watched you be crucified, who saw where you were buried and returned to the tomb to find it empty. Would we minister in the margins and would we proclaim that we meet you there, Jesus. You are saving us. You are transforming us. And we are in need of you. So Spirit, fill us fresh to go in your ways. In your name we pray. Amen. For more resources or information about Kaleo, please visit our website at kaleophx.com or follow us on social media. If this episode has been helpful to you, let us know or share it with someone you know.